This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk Man, I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I'm Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time because we have part two of the mailbag episode to get into. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of the presentation. A couple of different ways you can get this podcast. One is to get to Horns247.com, click the podcast tab, find it on the drop-down menu. But the easiest way to get it, anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you're on, search Horns247 when you find the Horns247 podcast feed. Click that follow button, get every episode of The Blitz when it drops, and please, if you'd be so kind, leave us a five-star review. Let me bring in the rest of the team so we can get started. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? We're going to get rocking and rolling answering these questions. And a man who looks forward to answering questions about football, pop culture, whatever you've got. He's a renaissance man. He wears many hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice. Other New York Giants back in 2003 spent his NFL career with Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts. Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Rod, Rod B., no problem. You ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Uh, Joshua Sparks, you had two questions last week. We got to one, didn't get to the other. It was Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning, Malik Murphy related, so we answered a bunch of Malik, Arch, mm-hmm. Quinn stuff last week. So we weren't skipping your question, just uh, and no disrespect. It just was kind of part of a bunch of other stuff we talked about. Uh, we let off with John Latham's question, uh, about actually John Latham's question about how hot is Sark's seat if they don't win the Big 12 this year? And then James McKinney, your question uh, about Rod B's hypothetical lineup. So let's go ahead and uh, continue it uh, with Chris Young's question. 
Did we get to Chris's question last week? No, we did not. Because actually this question says for Jeff or Matt. Nice. In Sark's offense, how often has the tight end been in the top four for, I'm assuming, targets and total yards? It seems like Sark, Sark focuses on playing fewer receivers, uh, but does that translate into more passing production for the tight ends? In short, not necessarily, yeah. uh, because the tight end targets at least up until last year with JT Sanders, the tight end targets and the back targets, at least at Alabama, were pretty similar. I think even when you look at Washington, Sark targeted his running backs quite a bit. He did have that one year where Austin Safarian Jenkins. I know he was at 67 catches. Yeah, that was the one guy I was going to say. Yeah. Because even at Alabama, those guys, he wasn't like he didn't have like Irv Smith when Irv Smith was like right. the freakish guy. And I don't know, it seemed almost personnel based. I bet if he would have had a Jatavian Sanders, mm-hmm. he would have probably had that guy be that high on that list, which is also why Safarian Jenkins, I'll pull up, I do have his target info. Give me a second and I can. Yeah, if you, if you pull up ASJ, I'll pull up the, uh, I'll pull up the Bama stuff. Uh, because that shouldn't be. Yeah, because it's like Miller of Forrestal. I've looked at it, and I know. It. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you had the most loaded wide receiver room, like, in history, so you it just sort of was personnel-based, the reason why he didn't have super, you know, numbers throwing to Alabama tight ends. So if you go back to 2019 at Alabama, while Matt looks for the uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins numbers, your targets, uh, Jerry Judy, 108, Devontae Smith, 88, Henry Ruggs, 55, Jalen Waddle, 40. And then you've got Najee Harris, 33, Miller Forrestal, 19, Brian Robinson, 13. And then the next tight end after Forrestal at 19, you've got to go all the way down to Major Tennyson, seven targets. Yeah, so, so that's personnel based, though, the fact that you only had 26 there. You yeah. just have all NFL, like top tier, almost like future Pro Bowl-level position players right. at receiver and at, tie, at running back. You're funneling the production to your wide receivers, but because your receivers are so good, they're gobbling up the lion's share of those, like Najee Harris with 33. But think about that drop-off from 2 to 3, Devontae Smith with 88, and then Ruggs with 55. So you're talking about a 30, what is that, almost a 40, almost a 40-target difference, 33 targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2020 at Bama, I mean, Devontae Smith, 145, because remember Jalen Waddle was hurt most of the year in the COVID year. John Mechie was 76, Najee Harris with 53, Waddle with 32, Slade Bolden, who played a lot in Waddle's place, with 29, then Miller Forrestal, 27, Jaleel Billingsley, 19, Brian Robinson with 10. So a little bit more for Forrestal, in, even in the COVID year, not as many games, but the catch there is, obviously... Jalen Wilder, who was your number two receiver, was hurt most of the year, so there was more there was more there were more targets to go around. But you see the bump for Najee Harris; he goes from thirty three to fifty three, twenty more targets year over year for Najee Harris. So to answer the question, not necessarily unless Sark has a game changer at tight end, which Matt, do you find those? Uh, do you find those Safarian Jenkins numbers? Yeah, overall his numbers his freshman year he caught forty one passes and averaged over thirteen per reception, which is. Pretty elite for a uh, freshman tight end, yeah. And then his sophomore year was the year he went off with 69 receptions, 852 yards, and seven TDs. He ended up scoring 21 TDs in his career. His third year was 36 for 450, so not much. But, I mean, he averaged right at 12.5 to 13 per reception and ended up having 146 over three years. So when you look at that, that's almost like exactly the production that you got from Jatavian Sanders in year Pretty one. Pretty close. Yeah. yeah. It's mm. like right there along those lines. So when mm. then I'm pulling up my uh, 
document with all the targets. It just takes. A I've got yeah, I've got the Texas target. So like you look at twenty twenty one, and Xavier Worthy with one hundred and three, then a drastic drop off. Joshua Moore with forty five, Jordan Whittington with thirty six, Bijan with thirty one, Marcus Washington thirty. You got to go down to six before you get to Cade Brewer with twenty seven, and the next closest tight end was Jared Wiley with twelve. But then you go to last year. You had Xavier Worthy with 113, Jatavian Sanders and Jordan Whittington tied for second with 72. So, to Matt's point, when you look at Austin Safarian Jenkins, who was what was ASJ? Was his second round pick? Uh, I think he was a second round pick. That sounds right. I uh, have his name up. And then you've got Jatavian Sanders, who we all know the difference maker he is as a tight end. When Sark is a difference maker at that position, it, Rod, it kind of goes back to what we talked about with Sark. Yes, Safarian Jenkins, uh, early second round, 38 overall in 2014. Kind of goes back to what we talked about with Sark. He's going to funnel production to his playmakers. If his playmaker just so happens to be a tight end, if one of those guys is a tight end, he's going to funnel production to him. But the the phrase that Sark likes to use that the tight end is the most important position in his offense other than quarterback, that doesn't necessarily translate to yeah, he's going to get X number of targets. No, it doesn't. It, he, he means uh, basically how multiple the tight end makes you. Yeah. If you go look at you know pre-snap motions and shifts, no player arguably in the power five moves around more than Jatavion Sanders. Mm-hmm. He's pretty much on the move out 60 70% of the time. Like He's moving, shifting around. Um, and I think that's that's what what he means by that. Also, it includes targets, but also it is the link between the kind of the power uh, element of his offensive philosophy and also the spread passing. That's what the, the that's that's what we thought the tight end was supposed to do in Tom Herman's offense. Yeah, in, and, and, the, and the only year where he got that was the the one year Andrew Beck was healthy. Mm-hmm. Which that was an offense that got you to the Sugar Bowl, the Big Twelve Championship game, and you won ten games. Uh, so actually, Chris, guys, is listening from Argentina. So shout, shout out. out, shout out and to then us. here's the target numbers for Safarian Jenkins: was 51 his freshman year, 96 his sophomore year, and 54 his junior year. But his target share that sophomore year was 25.8 percent, which is normally the target share for an elite receiver. Like that's top end stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Trying to see if in that 2013 season. Oh, okay. August. So he had a broken pinky in fall practice and had surgery, so he wasn't at Lying all healthy. Through an injury. Yeah, in 2013. That was Sark's last year at uh, at UW. All right, Chris, thank you so much for the question. We do greatly appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Uh, actually, King Blake, I think we got to your question last week. Yeah, this was the question about uh, – just to reiterate, says I'm a Texas fan of the state of Mississippi. I've been listening to the show for a couple of years now. I like Malik Murphy a lot. I'm glad he didn't transfer out. I hope he doesn't in the future. Do you think that when Ewers leaves, even if Murphy is better, that Sark gives the nod to Arch for QB1 just from the Manning name potential upside over Murphy? We talked about it last week. I don't think so. I brought up if you want to use it, great. If not, that's okay, too. The Nick Montana situation at Washington where he ends up going – with Keith Price because Keith Price was clearly the better quarterback. Yeah. Did you guys see Arch sign the uh, NIL deal with Panini? Yeah. Did that went into effect? So he's got that one-of-one one prism card that he autographed that's up for auction. We'll see what the auction, as of right now, uh, current bid for that is thirty grand. So That's pretty good. And all those proceeds are going to charity for that card. So good on Arch for making your first known NIL deal. And to Even answer, though, I would say Sark did – 
put on the record that he wasn't going to sign a deal until he was a star. Because that's what Ar- that's what Archie told Sark. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying Sark is the way to put it out. Right. Well, yeah, so, and, so I'm just saying, like, it, that obviously wasn't the case. And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really believed it at the time. It was like, that's it. That's a, that's random. That's crazy. Well, and Good that's where yeah. he like, just. Yeah, it did sound unrealistic at the time. And, it, yeah. <laughs> and that's where, like, the NIL stuff, though, with Arch, that's a good way to sort of point out, though, like, because whenever he did get here, he didn't sign a ton of NIL deals. He didn't no. sign any until this. And, but you'll see people, like, the highest valuation, a $5 million valuation. Like, just to clarify for listeners, it's like they don't get what they're valued at. You have no, to go out and yeah. get your deal. And, like, that's a lot of people get confused and see this person's value. He's getting $5 million. It's like, no, he hasn't signed for anything, actually, until he signed this. <laughs> deal it's yeah. just what your valuation what your potential earning dollar ceiling is when you see that that's yeah. just that's just like nick saban's comment at coaching school was it two years ago when he said uh you know i've got a quarterback who hasn't started a game and he's being offered million dollar nil deals which turns into oh man bryce young got a million dollars from nil and he hadn't even played a game yet <laughs> yep yeah, like, and no, to that's answer, not that's not it. I was in the room when Nick Saban said that, and that's not what he said. Yeah. So yeah. actually, I got the I think I got the tape right here on my phone. Brought up the name. The last part of that answer. Another example I used was Mac Jones got the job over Bryce Young. Yeah. Whenever Sark was at Alabama, so that was almost a one for one type comparison. All right, let's move on down the road. Richard Young, I love in all caps, guys. Anytime you you're running all caps, that means you're you're serious, you're passionate about something. <laughs> you're yelling. Said, I love Longhorn Blitz. <laughs> I've learned so much about football theory and have developed a deeper understanding of the game over the years. I've been subscribed, especially like the time you devote to discussing line play. So this might be a dumb question, but here it goes. No question, Richard, is a dumb question. Is it super? Com- it is super common for teams to rotate defensive linemen to keep them fresher over the duration of a game. If the Horns have, say, 8 to 10 offensive linemen, who should be pretty solid, both in physical strength and knowledge of the game, why not also rotate offensive linemen? More specifically, let's say Kelvin Banks and Jake Majors play the majority of snaps because Banks' superior talent and Majors' experience as leader of the unit. It seems to me that the two guard positions and right tackle could be rotated with the six or so players who might be interchangeable. Hook them, Richard Young. Here's the difference with that. To me, it all hinges on two positions. Two two position groups, two positions. It hinges on your center and it hinges on your tackles. If you've got a legit center who's a, as a backup center, and whether that's your, you know, you've got your starting right guard, maybe he's your next best center. He's a starting caliber center, and you can plug somebody in at right guard, and you've got two legitimate tackle options, then yeah, you can rotate in. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd love to have what Texas had with the number two offensive line in 2005, where there were times where they were able to rotate a number two line because Tony Hills, I want to say Will Winston, Mike Garcia, it was Dallas Griffin, I think, at center. Like, you had a really good – You had a, that team had a number two line that was better than a lot of number one lines we've seen at Texas yeah. over the years. So, But in the, in the transfer portal era, it's very rare that that's going to happen. Uh, so you don't want to rotate as much. That comes down to, to me, once you get to this level, really how much guys understand conceptually, uh, how much position flexibility – do guys have and how do you make those pieces fit based on if somebody gets hurt like say your right tackle gets hurt you might not necessarily want to play the backup right tackle you might you're like I just laid out your left guard might be for all intents and purposes your number three tackle so you slide him over then get your next best guard in there or whatever the case is so 
Uh, in a perfect world, I think you ask any offensive line coach, they'd say, hell yeah, I'd love to have be two, two legitimate lines and, and be able to roll in. It just it doesn't really work that way. It, it, it takes uh, a really, really special player to be able to do that because so much of offensive line play, it's about communication, it's about feel, and it's, it's the kind of stuff that takes game reps for guys to get used to. And, and that's why you've seen with Kyle Flood and Sark, man, they just don't rotate a ton of offensive linemen. Now, what could be different this year is depending on what we see from, like let's take the five that are coming back, which you see out of Nato Amezulu, DJ Campbell, and Cameron Williams during camp, that could change the equation a little bit. But I don't think it's going to be where, you know, Cameron Jones, let's say Christian Jones and Cameron Williams, for example, are going to play anywhere close to the same percentage of snaps at right tackle. Yeah, I just I don't see that happening. But could you see a little more rotation? Could guys have shorter leashes in theory? Yeah, I think you could see that. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's about continuity and chemistry mostly. And you know, I think you you could see some of that six zero line package this year too. I mean, Kyle Flood loves it. Every time mm-hmm. he, in his clinics, he talks about it a ton. And I think now with this deep of a group, somebody could end up taking that role in the offense too to, yeah. to play more guys instead of rotating guys. Just have a package for yeah. those guys. Yeah, yeah, you want to be able to have the depth to where if you need to, you can ro- feel comfortable playing this many of guys up there. But it's sort of like, you know, like if you have those starters, I don't know if you want to say it's like a band or a starting five in basketball. Like you want to have a chemistry and a continuity mm-hmm. and under, they understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. So just on the fly, they can identify issues, communicate or not even necessarily be able to verbally communicate, just be reading the same thing oh, together. Yeah. And then also the idea that in modern football, you don't want to necessarily give the defense a reason to sub if you start voluntarily substituting your offensive line in, then the defense gets opportunity to match your subs. And if you're only getting a marginal difference, you know, in your production, it might not be worth allowing the defense to be able to then sub whenever you say have a mismatch that you want. It's much more palatable to do though. What some coaches do. If you've got two quarterbacks, Rod, you went through this during your time on the 40 where you might say, all right, this quarterback's going to get the first two series, you get the third and fourth, and then kind of rotate, and then maybe at halftime you figure out who's got the hot hand. I hate doing that with quarterbacks. but That's how it started with Vince. In the right, I hate doing that with quarterbacks. I think if you've got two quarter, quarterbacks with two different skill sets, like to me the perfect scenario is go back and look at 2006 Florida, what they did with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. Tebow was your short yardage goal line guy, had a specialty role. You want to do that? I'm perfectly fine with that. The 18-wheeler package with Tyrone Swoops, that's great. That's, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I just feel like just I – just, I just wish if, it's, if the skill sets are similar, just pick one and roll with it. Well, and the line that became the 05 line was doing that in like 03 when Vince would be brought in and the younger guys that were yeah. more athletic would run and go in and replace the older line. But it's less of – if you're going to rotate offensive linemen, it's not going to be what you see with D linemen where – if an offense, let's say they get a first down, get a drive going, and it drives fourth, fourth or fifth play, then maybe you rotate tackles in. This is going to be like where somebody's going to get to start a drive. Yeah. I think if you just look at football at the highest levels, just from a football theory perspective, and I haven't studied this, but I'm, I'm just going to go off just general knowledge. I bet it's the case. It's my hypothesis is that there is more rotation on defenses than their own offenses for sure at the highest levels and the reason that the and there are a lot of different factors the the real reason is if you want to get down to the meat of it is that offenses are about efficiency they are about timing and precision yeah 
And these are all things that work better when everybody's on the same page and there's a clear understanding and you've had reps together Mm -hmm. and everybody knows exactly what the the task is that needs to be accomplished, how you want to accomplish it, how you want to execute it, how to adjust on the fly. Yeah. Right. And that's the stuff you guys feel as you probably, and that that comes with reps. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the more reps you have like that, you know, the better and more efficient you're going to be and the more precise you'll be uh, within an offense. Right. Uh, and that's why offenses, since they're built on precision and, and you know timing and all those different things, when defenses cause chaos, um, it just totally ter- derails an offense, right? Yeah. No matter which one, you, no matter which way you want to do it, you can just whether it's through blitzing or whether it's through stunts and games up front or whether it's through you know different pre-snap uh, looks and disguises to try to do it pre-snap and post-snap. Defenses, you just want to cause chaos because chaos will benefit defenses more oftentimes than not. Because offense, since it's built on precision, right, execution, timing, efficiency, chaos is hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Chaos to them is hell. That's why Sark hates it. Sark doesn't even like his quarterbacks running and off. He doesn't like yeah. off-schedule stuff because that's kind of less chaos. It's embracing chaos, and he does not like that at all. And some some guys are agents of chaos. They're really comfortable yeah. in it. VY was kind of like that. Um, but my point being is, that's why on defense you can just rotate guys because it's more it's, it's not it's not built on necessarily precision and execution and yeah. timing. You're really trying to cause chaos as much yeah. as you can. Yeah. Offense, you need the, the, the routes the, the routes of receivers are down to certain footsteps and they got to cut off this foot. And the offensive line same way they want they want one two punch or all this kind. Of, everything is built on precision. Yeah. Even the footwork of the quarterback, guys. That's a lot of precision. All, a lot of things that got to go right at the right time. If you're a defense. You just want to cause four, four, three or four of those things to essentially be off. Mm-hmm. The, the offensive lineman's footwork, the uh, the quarterback's eyes, the wide receivers. Route. However, you, you just cause a, just cause a little bit of a little bit of that to be inaccurate or off. Then that's how you cause chaos on the offensive side mm-hmm. of the ball, and that's essentially why you can rotate guys on defense. Because hey, I'm just trying to. F stuff up. Yeah, yeah you specialization. Yeah, you, and that's why you have guys that yeah. come in on early downs on the D line, yeah. and then you have your pass rush special, yeah. all because yeah. down and distant can then dictate what you're doing yeah. and where you're going at. But the agent of chaos aspect of it, you not only want to maybe just mess up one step, but then you can give them a look that causes a hesitation that causes them to have the exactly. timing. There are many ways to throw to the throw timing off. off. Yeah. You just are trying to do one or two or have one or two wins on defense. And if you have one or two wins, then you can throw that timing off and you can get those wins by using your different types of specialization or down and distance groups. And that sort of goes back to why you also don't want to give the defense that opportunity to substitute, to get into those type of things. Mm-hmm. Once you have say that, you know, whatever you have on offense working. Yeah. I don't even look at it so much from the substitution standpoint. I just think for offense, it's, it's about maximizing your scoring opportunities. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, let's say you've got, let's say you, 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 you know, let's, Cole Hudson and DJ Campbell, right? Let's just use them as an example. Let's say DJ Campbell's a starter, right? Cole Hudson's going to get the third series. Well, let's just say special teams blocks a punt, and that third series starts at the plus 12. Well, we've been running our red zone and short yardage stuff all week with DJ Campbell, so Cole Hudson, you're not getting the third series. Mm. We've run this all week with DJ Campbell. We're going we're to keep DJ in here for this series. Sorry, you'll get the next one. Like you just can't, it, you don't leave anything to chance. Is there so much 
as you said, Rob, there's so much precision, there's so much specialization that goes into it. Like, no, we've been running this package with this guy. Exactly. We're not gonna just yeah. take it take a chance on, well, maybe he was paying attention getting mental reps. Like, no, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna do this right yeah. here. So or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe Cole Hudson was in for those red zone periods, and maybe this was supposed to be Campbell's series back. It's like, no, 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 hold on. Just wait. He's been running red zone goal line all week. He's, He's going to go. Practicing He's practicing it. He know, yes. Yeah, no, I'm with yeah. That's, that's, that's how coaches, they have their faith in what they've practiced, yeah. what they've seen. That's why they hate guys who are bad practice players and who can go into games and ball out. Oh, they hate gamers. Mm-hmm. Coaches hate gamers. They won't tell you that, but they hate them because they're unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get to be a good practice player by the end of your Oh, time? yeah, I was an awesome practice player. Yeah. No, well, it's just, it's, yeah. you, you, it's about your baseline, right? By the time I was my junior and senior, I was practicing like an all-conference player. And you could expect that every day in practice from me at all-conference. Like, it, the biggest compliment is when Rod B. Dig it, B. was like, ooh, ooh, hey, yo, man, Rod B. Hey, come you know what I mean? Everybody's talking like, man, Rod B. And he caught a ball on Rod B, man. It's crazy. That doesn't happen a lot. You're damn right it don't happen a lot. It ain't going to happen again. The stuff I like about practice, <laughs> we've we're, we got a question here from Braden about Jordan Whittington. It says, hey, y'all love the show. My question, how can Sark best utilize Jay Witt in his offense to unlock his full potential? I remember you told me something, Rod, one time that, you know, if you saw Roy Williams or Sloan Thomas in the line for one-on-ones, you're jumping that young guy. Like, you, know, you can go against somebody else. I'm, yeah, I'm getting no, my reps here. Yeah, uh, that. Jay Wood says he's at the point he's like, the only guy I go against is Jaday. Like, if one of them young slot guys is like, no, no, no. Sorry, you, can, you can go against you, Austin yeah. Jordan or Gilmore or <laughs> one of these other guys. I'm, I'm getting this, this rep This guy's right playing now. in the NFL. I need yeah. an NFL guy going up against me. Yeah, so I did that about that. Jay Wood. But yeah, I you want it. practice first elite. I love that, man. The yeah. Jay Wood thing fascinates me because – I know last year we talked about – Craig and I actually talked about this on Light the Tower this mm-hmm. week. Uh, you know, Craig was like, hey, doesn't Rod harp on running, you know, two-back stuff, 20 personnel, 21 personnel? I'm like, well, yeah, last year because well, using two-back stuff with Bijan and Roshan, it was <laughs> maximizing your advantage. NFL backs. I don't know that you do that this year, but with a healthy Jaywit, you can – Experiment. Yeah, you can, mm-hmm. you know – effectively have 10 personnel and you've got an an extra running back on the field because of just his natural feel for Mm -hmm. playing a contact and and having the ball in his hands in space. So how can Sark best utilize Jay Witt in this offense? I I think it's to, I'm not saying target him as much as you targeted Devin Duvernay, but I would make Jay Witt my, my screen, my bubble screen guy, my tunnel screen guy, a guy that I'm going to get him a Mm -hmm. perimeter pass and let him work. That's how, in other words, Jordan Whittington, to borrow one of Matt's favorite statistics, Jordan Whittington's average depth of target should be pretty terrible compared to other receivers on his team. I want him catching it at or around the line of scrimmage, within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Just let him work in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why you should line him up in the backfield every now and then. Yeah. And they did it. Like I said, Sark has done it, but he did it sparingly, and I don't know if it was a feature. But he's done it with Xavier Worthy, too. You should line him up in the backfield. Remember when he did it with Casey Kane in the bowl game? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. so he's done it. And, I mean, they're – and he actually threw it to him. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I think. It's one know, of the things on offense in the bowl game that we liked. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you can. Too. Yeah, you can do what they call like a reload, like start him out wide and then like motion him and shift him back into the backfield. The beauty of that simplistic move, and now it's the cat's kind of out of the bag, so I'm sure there are defensive adjustments. Defenses are built in a very rudimentary, simplistic way just so they don't compromise the structural integrity of the defense. When basically it's built on the principles that whoever's in the backfield, they are defended by certain defenders. And usually those are linebackers. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? Usually those will end up being linebackers, sometimes safeties now when they run their big nickel packages. But rarely are you going to put your nickel back on that back in the backfield or put your, your cornerback on that guy. So it was just a simple way to, to really uh, find a way to exploit and use a cheat code, a loophole within mm-hmm. the defense. Like, oh, your linebackers always cover the guys in the backfield? Okay. Sounds good to yeah. us. Um, and then now, obviously, I think there are adjustments to that. But what I, the, way, the way I would use Jay Witt, I, and I totally agree with you, you go look at that TCU game, and that was a prime example, mm-hmm. right? When you, and I don't know how often it's going to happen this year because everybody was trying to stop Bijan and Rojo last year. So they would load the box up. Oh, man, when you're getting, lo- you're getting beaten in the box, right? They're outnumbering you in the box. The beauty of football is it is relatively simple. They, can't, they cannot <laughs> win the numbers game in the box and on the outside. So if they're winning it consistently in the box, then that means you got the numbers vanishing outside. Sarge mm-hmm. just figured it out a little too late in the TCU yeah. game. That should have been an adjustment that he made way a, a lot earlier, and it took him a little while to make it. And they, that's one of the best defenses in in the country, and they couldn't tackle Jay Witt yeah. on yeah. those wide receiver screens. They couldn't. I, I, yeah. I, and honestly, if I was Jay Witt, I'd been insulted last year, considering mm-hmm. that you were – targeting and a one-handed man right, a lot of the times in Xavier Word instead of targeting a fully healthy Jay Witt for the yeah. first time in his uh, college career. Probably uh, we'll see, you know, A.D. Mitchell bring something to the table, but of the proven commodities we've seen in a Texas jersey, you don't have anybody better after the catch than Jay Witt. X is a little I, bit different. Yeah, but, I'm about to say, uh, statistically, I bet X-Man yeah, is. But, yeah, but, but Jay Witt's going to get you those tough yards. Yeah, because I'm saying, X-Man's have been, he's on movement routes, and he's been uh, schemed open for those jack yards. Yeah. Jay Witt's ain't schemed open. He, Jay, Jay Witt's Witt, getting yeah. his all over. Jay Witt can take the curl, <laughs> the other, shake yeah. off the <laughs> yards He can catch contact. the curl. Yeah, he can catch yeah, the curl, sh- shuck the corner, and then he's getting you an extra 10 yards. That's a great point, Matt. One's yards after contact, one's yards after catch. Yes. And that's where the two differences are. But then that's where Jay Witt's good at both of them. He is good at both. Yeah. So I, I like I like where we are on, on the mm-hmm. Jordan Whittington bit. Um, man, I was going to fix and tell you guys something else Jordan Whittington related. Oh, I asked him at Big 12 Media Days, right? I don't know if you heard the interview Craig and I did with him. Uh, I did. I I, yep. I, figured, I finally got him to go on the record with the, the muscle, the soft tissue injuries he had. <laughs> he said when they moved him to running back, he mm-hmm. said, I just added way too much muscle way too fast. His body was wound too tight. He's been doing more yoga, doing more stretching. Mm-hmm. He's, he said he's probably the lightest he's been. I think he said he's about 203 right now, but he said he's never felt better than he does right now. Uh, that makes perfect sense. I'm glad he cleared that up. Yeah. It, it did. I mean, and I, I think his, in his brother, like a lifter, power yeah. lifter or something mm-hmm. like that too. So I bet he, naturally he's been lifting a lot anyway. He's yeah. got a little overzealous mm-hmm. <laughs> with that. but Not I'm, not David Boston levels of overzealous. Nah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but Those just in his are... commitment to like building muscle. Like you can go in the weight room and you can you can lift. You ain't always got to do it for power and to build bulk. So now you can just lift to make sure that you you know you you're building more for the the cardio element and for conditioning more than anything. Yeah, as, as, as flexibility too. As we found out David Boston uh, ride from your neck of the woods oh, and man. humble. Uh not uh, not all natural was David Boston when he was playing yeah. the game. Those yeah. those uh those rumors, the streets was talking even back then. The, yeah. the streets was talking. When, Normally the when the streets talk like that, they're right. The streets was like talking when you're lining up at wide receiver and you look like the ultimate warrior, like, all right, well something something ain't adding up here. Yeah, that but, was yeah. Yeah, that freak. was 
<laughs> yeah. Now, you that, say that freak, was, I say disgusting uh, tomato uh, tomato. Mid-2000s, it, it, that, that's exactly what you saw when you saw like guys like Cushing and Mays coming out of USC. It's like, what that. are those guys on? Yeah. Brian. That's how we think about Brian Cushing. <laughs> uh, James asked, what play would you have run or would, or would have liked to have seen with this lineup? Roshan Johnson is your quarterback. <laughs> With Bijan, Keelan Robinson, and Jay Witt all in the backfield. We're running the wishbone? We're sounding like we're running the bone. <laughs> the only day we could be running. I mean, it, triple it, it, option. Sark, Sark ran some 30, 31 personnel mm-hmm. last season. I remember that uh, the, the play with the three running backs in the backfield, even versus Bama, he broke that out. Yeah, he did tech. first play against it was uh, like, Tech. Yeah. It, yeah, it was it, a touchdown. Like, he threw it to yeah, Keelan. Throw it to Keelan. <laughs> so Sark's got, he's gotten in his back. I, that's what I love about Sark. I do think he will look at the pieces and the weapons that he has and – He's not. She's not going to change his philosophy, but he will change like his approach to the offense mm-hmm. and the kind of general approach to the offense. And last year was a prime example of that. But how much two back and hell, yeah. not even three back sets he used. Uh, Eric has a question. Rod specifically addressed to you. Says with Texas not having a true pass rusher on the line and being six deep at defensive tackle, do you see us starting three defensive tackles against run first teams and then put a pass rusher in on passing downs? Mm. That's good. Um, well, you got Baron Sorrell. They trust Baron Sorrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think with Byron Murphy, I mean, they said he's, he's the he best pass rusher play. on the team, essentially. He and uh, young Anthony Hill. He can play multiple shades. Yeah, and Tavon, exactly. I agree with that. And Tavontre Sweat, like, you know, I think he's a guy that's an NFL, got an NFL skill set, too. So you do, those are the three guys you trust. The hope is that one of those young bucks on the other end, whether it be Justice Finkley or who's it, Ethan Burke is another guy. Colton Vosick, yeah, Javon Tapp. Hopefully one of them young bucks, they step up. Or those guys in a money ball approach are all playing at a consistently high level where you can put them in there and it's just not a ton of drop-off and it's not a weakness there. Uh, but, you know, man, honestly, I've, I've talked about it. I, I am a defensive mind where I would look at my best 11 and just try to get my best 11 out yeah. there. I wouldn't just try to force a guy out there because I need four defensive linemen. Um, now, it depends on the role that you want your linebackers to play in this defense. You could go 3-3-5. Three, three, like I, uh, to I mean, me, I don't that, know if yeah. you like like how do you like do you like your linebackers more than you like that those other defensive ends opposite Baron Sorrell? Because if you do, because I've heard good things about David Bender, I've heard great things about Maurice Blackwell. Everybody yeah. knows Anthony Hill's a prodigy. So I'm like, well, if you really like your linebackers, and you know you got one of the best linebackers in the country, and Jerry yeah. Ford who's never going to lead the field. Man, could, could you get creative enough to go three three five? You brought in Payam Sadat, who's you know the double eagle flex, so you can get funky with some of your mm-hmm. looks. Um, I do wonder if maybe that's a way, the better way to go. You know, I, I brought up the dime package, which are DBs. You got three safeties you've been bragging about. Mm-hmm. You got brought in Jalen Catalan, one of the best safeties in the country. He's going to play in the NFL. You got Jaron Thompson. He's your senior statesman back there. And now you got Keaton Crawford. And then in addition to that, you got Jay Barron. You got Ryan Watson. Everybody thinks that Terrence Brooks. I asked Xavier Worthy, who's, who's, what corner is showing out? He's like, oh, man, it's Terrence Brooks all the way. He's yeah. the guy. So if it's that means you got six DBs who you believe are going to give you starting reps. Um, maybe there's a dime package you could throw out there. You know, I mean, so what, yeah. I, I, I do think there are ways to get you know kind of funky with it. You know, but it depends. You can go three two six. You can go three three five. If you I'm saying, if those young bucks just have a plan ready, if that defensive end spot ends up being a void, mm-hmm. if it ends up being a void, you should have a plan ready to go. Just like you need to have a plan ready to go. If you can't find a field corner, have a plan ready. Like. All right, Jaday Barron, you got to go out there to the field corner, and we're going to run three safeties most of the damn time, like Dan Quinn does in the NFL. Whatever it is, just have a plan ready yeah. to go in case 
you know, the worst case scenario happens. You also need a plan if, let's say, what if David Bender or Mo Blackwell doesn't Can't hold down it. that spot? There you go. You know, you need a plan have, for that. Exactly. You got to have contingency plans on contingency plans yeah. on contingency plans, which is why, Rod, I mean, I heard coaches, you know, some coaches basically have an eye. Basically, you, you got to stop thinking about defenses as 4 3 and 3 4. Basically, are you an odd front or are you an even front much. predominantly? And then behind it, everybody's got to be multiple. And you now. can get there a number of ways. Yeah. You can get there using any of the front seven guys. As my, <laughs> as my late father yeah. liked to disturbingly say, it's more than one way to skin the cat. Uh, yeah, you go. You skin know. the catfish. Yes, <laughs> I believe that's where the the saying originated. Uh, was some, it? it was the skin of catfish, and then we got lazy in our interpretation of, it, and now it's the skin of cat, which is obviously sick and demented. You're like, why would they make Makes that a saying? Much more sense. They made Unless a saying because it was Baylor baseball the skin of catfish back in the day. Yeah, uh, I had some good catfish down in the Braunfels a couple weeks ago. Nice. By the way, catfish. Uh, shout out Clear Springs. Hey, uh, shout out. Um, so, uh, Eric, thank you for the question, yes, though. Question. Uh, Alan, your question uh, says, We have heard and seen how Sark's offense looks sharp at the start of games, but in the second half, the offense seems to struggle. It seems that Sark's game plan <laughs> is to script the first part of the first half slash quarter with success, but in the second half, the offense tends to falter, lack of adjustments to the game plan. How hard would it be for Sark to develop two offensive plans for each half <laughs> with the starting part where the starting part is scripted for each half. <laughs> that would be tough because, okay, okay, if he could do that, then he wouldn't have these issues. And the way, I mean, the reason I say that is if he was able to script a second, say, obviously he's 20 plays, I believe, if it's his scripted yeah. plays. If he's able to script the first 20 plays of the second half, um, that would mean basically that he has successfully been able to diagnose what the defense has adjusted to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what he's not doing. The reason that his f- opening script is so great, 20 plays, he's got a week to come up with it, guys. All mm-hmm. right. He's got a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, study- he's studying the trends, the patterns, the strengths, the weaknesses of that defense for a week. Mm-hmm. And everybody, as we just got done saying, Everybody's practicing those first 20 plays all week long. Mm-hmm. We get them. I got footwork down on it, everything. We know exactly where we're supposed to be, where the hand placement is for those first 20 plays. But think about it. Everybody's got to adjust after those first 20 plays. Yeah. Everybody. Because that's what you got in muscle memory is those first mm-hmm. 20 plays or whatever it is. Um, so the, 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 the reason Sark is struggling in the second half is because he is, he's, like I said, battle of preparation and game plan. He's one of the best in the country. But like I said, that's, that, that only gets you a quarter, basically, of football because that is your, your first 20 plays are probably going to run out right around there or maybe a quarter and a half at best. Mm-hmm. After that, it's all about the adjustment because your opponent is going to adjust, right? That's they, the main thing. Once they figure out, all right, Sark is attacking me with this. He's using these concepts. All right, then they go to their coaching staff and they go, all right, D-line. Uh, and linebackers coach, all right, how are they attacking you? Okay, then they put all the puzzle pieces together and go, all right, this is the, this is their game plan. They have to they have to reverse engineer your game plan, mm-hmm. and it takes them it takes a while. It takes you about a quarter to figure out what the hell are they doing. Oh, damn. They're definitely attacking that 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 boundary corner over there. Or they're definitely uh they're using the reverse motion to try to lure us into a trap so they can run uh run a lot of backside comes, whatever it is. Like it's it could be a number of different things, right? And once they analyze all these cheat codes, they reverse engineer them, then they come up and they adjust to Sark. And it usually that comes either at halftime or right before halftime or right after halftime. And after that, Sark is freestyling, improvising, yes. because he is now trying to figure out how the defense 
yeah. has adjusted. Like he's basically mm-hmm. got to kind of reverse engineer with their adjustment. Yeah. And that's so what his they're ca- doing to him. Yes, then. and that's his counter. He's got to have a counter ready. This is what we call the counter. If he doesn't have the counter, the counter is he's got to try to figure out exactly how they're attacking him. And once he takes those notes and go, okay, they're attacking me, then be a problem solver. Solve the problem of how they're adjusting to you. And then that's your creative counter. So he doesn't have a creative counter ready to go. Yeah. I think his biggest weakness as a play caller is you should be able to anticipate your opponent's adjustments. Yes. If you know them well enough. And know football and understand how teams react. You should be able to anticipate, all right, there are four or five ways that are going to adjust to this game plan Mm -hmm. that I'm coming up this week. So I think part of his prep needs to be anticipation of adjustments. And I thought the special assistants would help him with that. Yep. And maybe they still are, that they can help him say, all right, you know, get a defensive guy. Where's Payam Sadat? Or where the GP and go, UNCGP sit in the room and GP go, all right, this is how I would I would attack your game plan right here. This is what I would so do. What do you I have would for adjust me? A, B, C, and D is exactly what I would do. And Sark, exactly. He should already have creative counters ready to go for A or B or C or D. He does not. I don't know how that does not happen. I don't know how this is not part of the process. And maybe it is. And if it is, then that's even more disturbing because, I mean, it's not working. I'm going to yeah. assume it's not part of the process, and that's why he's not coming up with creative counters. He doesn't do it on his own. And remember last year, don't 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 tell me Baylor was a creative counter. Don't tell me Iowa State was a creative counter. That's just giving it to Bijan and Rojo. That's common sense. Mm-hmm. Not a creative counter. Creative that, was counter. Ki- that was the kiss counter. Keep, yeah, it, exactly. keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. So t- that's his. It's the chess match within the game, guys, and he has not really been a chess master in his career. No, we've seen He's- one or two things from Sark. And the two games that I, I constantly go to, the OU game his first year and the Oklahoma State game last year, some of these two approaches I'm talking about, he either gets way too predictable like, I've got a big lead, I'm going to try to ice this game away and gets way too predictable, or grossly miscalculates where the advantage is. Like, for whatever reason, they just kept your quarterback had a bad hand and your wide receiver had a bad hand, and there's a 25-mile-an-hour wind in the stadium, but you thought airing it out and hunting deep shots was the way to beat Oklahoma State. Like, it was a gross miscalculation on your part. So that's that's the three things we've seen from Sark, which was – the painfully obvious, give it to Bijan or Roshan, getting way too predictable that it working against you or a gross miscalculation. Yep, and then when you're talking about just the ability to adjust and you may be thinking, well, if you're coming out in the second half, why can't you just study how those other teams adjust? And that's the difference between good data and bad data. You can't go look at the second half film and think mm-hmm. that's something that's consistent over game by game because they aren't doing it the way, say, you open a game with a script or with what you do well, what your base is. They're adjusting to the opponent and adjusting on a week-to-week basis to what they're seeing, and that's sort of where we're saying Sark's losing that chess game once you get to that point, and that's where you're hoping to see that improve. I think the bottom line to Alan's question, though, why doesn't Sark develop a plan for each half? Basically what we're saying here to tie it to tie it together there's so many variables that would go into a second half opening script that it's it'd be a fool's errand to do it. Well, he time. doesn't know what the defense is going to do. He knows the defense because he studied them for a week right. for the opening script of yeah. twenty yeah. plays. When they make an adjustment, that is on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have time to process and diagnose it. If it takes him a week, then that's too damn long because yep. you don't have a week, Sark. You got two quarters, and you don't you have got data two on quarters. It. You got two quarters to figure out exactly what they've what they've done to adjust to you and figure it out. You don't have a week. You don't have all your coaches to help you figure it out. By the way in the midst of that you're a head coach yeah so there's other things that also need to be addressed not just the play calling which mm-hmm. is also distracting for him 
Yep. So that's why some people are saying, well, maybe he needs to hire an offensive coordinator. Well, he has an offensive coordinator. My idea was, listen, let Kyle Flood call the first 20 plays. You've been practicing them. You know what the hell they are. Everybody knows what the and hell they, they are. You're going to call them. You studying. need to be focusing on the adjustments they're making and coming up with creative yeah. counters. For the rest of the game. For the rest of the game. So you just need to sit back and just be taking notes. You know what the first 20 plays are. Why you got to call yeah. them? Why you got to call them? You already know. Everybody knows who they are on the sideline. You've been practicing all week. Quinn should, be, Quinn should be able to call them unless you're red, z- red zone goal line short them, yards. Let them call them damn plays, and you sit there and go, okay, you focus on everything the defense is doing. Yep. You, and then t- you got your guy it. in the booth that's, you know, hey, man, all right, this is what they're doing, coach. This is this is the adjustment they made. And come up with creative counters. you got to do something because you're losing these games in the fourth quarter. Yeah. we may, Guys, we may have to go to a part three on the mailbag for next week. Cause Makes we, sense. Yeah, and I don't have any problem doing that. I don't either. Uh, uh, Christopher, this is your question. So, good afternoon, gentlemen. Love the podcast. Appreciate the weekly commitment to the Horns. Who is the player nobody is talking about right now that will be this year's Jalen Ford? Well, well, I, I don't think, know if nobody's talking about Jade Barons. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about, about, about like we talked about everybody to this point. Yeah, I don't know. You if don't about, always get those type of guys yeah, that come out of nowhere. I mean, Jalen Ford was an all-American star, like a guy like Hill that you can be. He's going to be impactful, but everybody sort of knows that he should be impactful. Yeah, I, I had to answer one of these questions like for twenty-four-seven national. Like, well, who's who's the sleeper? Like, well. You talk so much about these guys as recruits; it's hard to call any any of the young guys sleepers. I mean, I, I would think a David Bender or a Keaton Crawford. But, again, Jalen Ford was an All-American last year. Honestly, you know who it should be? Jaron Thompson. Jaron Thompson has been there yeah. longer than any other player in the secondary. Yeah. He's he's now had a defensive, same defensive coordinator for three years, same language, same – I mean, he – he, he should know all the coverages. Like, he should be directing traffic back there. He should be ready for a breakout campaign because every year we've seen him improve on something. He was already a natural, uh, naturally good cover safety. He could cover really well. And last year I think he proved that I can kind of bring the hat too. I can get physical. I remember in that Bauman game, him laying guys out. Yeah. And I think that's what he wanted to prove. Uh, this year, take another step. If he takes another huge step, and I think it's got to be a big one, I just got to prove that he can make plays. You talk about those splash plays. That's what they need, right? You need – it, that's what Jalen Ford did. Jalen Ford yeah. made so he was a man. He was a splash king. Yeah. He, he, he needs a splash brother. All right. You need somebody there else uh, that's gonna make plays. Jay Barron is kind of one of those guys too. You see guys in your defense. I wasn't one of those guys. I was a great player, but I wasn't one of the guys that could end up you know making a lot of splash plays. I was just consistent. You need splash players. I think Jaron Thompson. If he proves that he can start taking the ball away, making some of those types of plays, that's the next step for him. So maybe it's him. Baron Sorrell's another one of those guys to me because he. I mean, he had a good year last year, five and a half yeah, sacks. Yeah, uh, you know, if he's a if he's a nine and a half, eight and a half, nine Ooh, sack guy, that's big. Then the the problem we're talking about at the other at the other edge spot, well, that almost I don't want to say it solves itself, but. Who are you gonna double team at that point? Mm-hmm. You gotta account for an extra blocker for him. You gonna you gonna single team Tavondre Sweat or Byron Murphy? Trust one guy to block either one of them. So whether it's Tap or Finkley, whoever it is, things will open up for them. Maybe it's Anthony Hill situationally. I don't know. Uh, I would say Rod, maybe not the production, but I could see Jaron Thompson having the same kind of impact going from one year to the next. Like if you look at Deshaun Elliott going from. 2016 to 2017, yeah. like that kind of impact where oh, you knew you had 
In 17, you knew you had some box defenders that you could count on, like Puna Ford had his role, and Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson had their role. But the guy that was making the splash plays on that defense was Deshaun Elliott. Yeah, yep. now you're right about that. I remember that. That's right. He was a beast. Oh, man, he had a hell of a seven, seven picks, six picks, whatever it was. And if uh, to bring up uh, Jaron Thompson again, just some of the numbers, because we talked about how elite he had been in previous years in coverage. And, like, last year he still finished as – one of the top guys in man coverage, and if you can get that out of your safety, that's big time. Yeah. But if you look at run stops and look at just the highest PFF grades for run defense, out of everybody that played as many snaps as he did, he played 330 uh, run defense snaps. He was 11th in the country in uh, run defense of grade mm-hmm. at 80.8 for wow. Jaron Thompson. That's yeah. really good. That really that's good. elite. Yeah. Um. Next question. I've got 55 tabs open. I got There it is. Uh, Alex, first of all, thank you for the show. You guys really make each episode an enjoyable experience, and it's something I look forward to during my commute. As a casual sports fan, I really appreciate the insight you all provide into how complex and detailed the game of football and logistics of the sport itself. My question is, is there a point-slash-game in the season where you can tell if Sark-slash-Quinn-slash-the-team made the changes that they needed to make in order to make it a successful season, i.e., Alabama responding to a tough fourth quarter loss, et cetera. I, to me, I think we should have those answers by the time they leave Waco on September 23rd. And well, let's say the question again one more time. It says, is there a point, is there a point slash game in the season where you okay. can tell if Sark Quinn slash the team made the changes that they needed to make in order to make it a successful season? I.e., Alabama, Responding to tough fourth yeah. quarter loss, okay. et cetera. I think the that two game swing to start conference play with the tech game. I think at Baylor mm-hmm. and, and come back home to play Kansas. Mm-hmm. I think if you can win those two games in, in a convincing enough fashion, regardless of what the result against Alabama is, then I think I would feel like because we talk about this offense and adjusting. Man, Sarks Sarks had problems figuring out Dave Aranda for for two years now because, like we said last year, it wasn't necessarily. Figuring out Dave Aranda's defense, it was, I'm just going to give the ball to my two best players and get the hell out of here. Smart move. And then against Kansas, I mean, you're if you see a healthy Jalen Daniels, that's a complete game changer for that game. I mean, that's a guy that can, I'm not saying he can win Kansas that game, but he can get him into the fourth quarter and it's a fight. Mm. So we identify any stretch that, that we believe is going to be troublesome or it can be a the turning point bad or good i just say when we figure out all right i think this team the the we, issues that we've talked that we talked about all off season that some of those are rectified okay i right. think it's once you get through that stretch because mm. bama will be the litmus test you come back and play wyoming and then baylor and kansas before you get to oklahoma i'd like to think that by the time you get to the ou game we've got a really good idea of what this team is and that's sort of always right. you could just say is that tipping point for a texas season because it's coincidentally like in that midpoint where you get a chance and that's where last year and this year have been unique that you have Alabama so early that that's a really good limits test on your players but we're talking more about Sark and the culture of the Big 12 and trying to see if he's been able to make the necessary adjustments yes. you can see how yes. good a team is going against Alabama if we get blown out of the water there might be some forefront issues that you can't overcome but if we're talking about being able to endure what the Big 12 is and all the different questions that it's going to be th- or things that it's going to be throwing at a guy like Sark, this year's schedule is going to give you a pretty good idea by OU 
but it still isn't going to be answered till you get through that stretch. I mean, you can even look back at some of the best Texas teams of all time in like it, 08, you know, you felt really good after OU, but you still had a gauntlet of different styles of teams that you had to go against, mm. and you can have that variety, and that's where being able to be malleable in change against your opponent's going to be key in this year's Big 12. Yeah. Um, in terms of the big issues, um, like whether Sark can adjust uh, well and be a chess master, win the chess match within the game, win those fourth quarters and those one-score games, I don't know if we're going to figure that out early because I don't know if you'll have enough. That almost feels like a week-to-week proposition. It may be. It may be, depending on – I mean, but listen, Texas – if Texas is blowing teams out and looking really impressive the first part of the year, then maybe that's not a conversation we're having anymore. Um, But, yeah, I mean, for Sark right now, it's about whether he can give his squad a a true coaching, schematic, tactical, strategic advantage. And I am trying to identify – games where Sark is doing that for this team. Because I think the roster he's built is great. I think it can win a Big 12 title. I think the coaching staff he's built is also really damn good. They've developed well. The culture is in a positive direction. you got to give Sark credit for all of that, mm-hmm. no question. Um, but where you're falling short is that at times um, we've identified certain games where Sark is being outcoached within the game. Mm-hmm. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, right? This shouldn't be happening. Yeah, uh, man. I'm and you're gonna lose games, and you know, that's fine. But um, how they're losing games and why they're losing games is that at times Sark is essentially losing that chess match to better, not say better coaches, but coaches who are better in that moment. Yeah, that, and that's, that's where like yeah, Texas what, Tech yeah. at the yeah. end of the season this year, you don't even have to worry about Gundy. But then when you follow up Oklahoma, you get what U of H, BYU, which are two teams that are totally different mm-hmm. questions that you haven't even went up against. So it's sort of it, this year's really unique. It's not your traditional Big 12, so it's going to be a lot different than you normally expect. I, I like the way the schedule sets up just because you get that bye after the OU game, which, Rod, you know that that game is a midseason reset. Like mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you're at the halfway point. Let's take stock of where we are, catch your breath, and Wish then go. It, now yeah. you now you get to buy to really assess where you're at. And then I think the reason why I say what you're talking about, Rod, the big picture stuff, why I think it's a week-to-week proposition, to me, well, you're, you just got to make sure you take care of business, you don't stub your toe, and you get you, you know, beating Oklahoma. That's never easy. But you just got to make sure you take care of business until you get to that the last one of that four games because that's Chris Kleiman at home. That's at Sonny Dykes. That's at Matt Campbell. Back home to face Joey McGuire the day after Thanksgiving. It's four really good coaches, mm-hmm. and you know teams that for various reasons are going to be. It's probably going to be your last trip to Ames. Probably going to be your last trip to Fort Worth, at least yeah. for the foreseeable future, maybe ever. Chris Kleiman hasn't beaten Texas, and then we all know what happened in Lubbock last year. And I got to feel like this team would be chomping at the hey. bit for that game. No, no. And see, as I said, I'm, I go back to the big picture stuff, right, about can Sark give your his team a true coaching advantage and go go win a game for your team. I mean, Sark won, Sark won that game for his team. Yeah. The last game I can identify that Sark actually won his won the team the game, in my opinion, with his strategy and tactics and his scheme was the the K-State game in 2021. Year, yeah. Where he just ran a damn wildcat. He was like, you know what? It's all we got. We're going with it. Um, what what I will say is that last stretch you're talking about, Jeff, that's a very interesting stretch because of that three high, three down. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. something big picture that Sark has yet to really, I don't say conquer, but mm-hmm. he has yet to really solve. He can't really figure out the three high, three down. It's it's a, a defense that's really compatible strategically, schematically with his style of offense and his philosophy. 
And he's got figured out because K-State likes to run concepts of that. So do TCU. And, of course, Iowa State popularized that. Mm-hmm. And in the Big 12, I mean, everybody's running a version of that. And, by the way, if you play against Steve Sarkeesian's team and don't run that, then you ain't been doing your damn homework. You should, for that week, you should yep. break it out versus Sark because his offenses at Texas are averaging damn near nine points fewer per game. When he oh, faces yeah. a team that majors in the three high three. Production you could have spent one day this spring yeah. putting what? it in already. It, I'm a fact, I think every team in the Big 12, because Venables runs it too. Spend I think every day. team in the Big 12 is like, man, against Sark, we run that three high three down. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Until you can stop it to do it. I mean, exactly. exactly. You know who didn't run it? Kansas doesn't run it, and that was pretty obvious. They're going to be running it this year against Texas. You're going to see it like, hell, we can't win. Put one on Sucky's back. Put three of them back. Who gives yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get to a couple more here before we wrap it up, and yeah, we'll do a oh man. We'll do a part three next week. I I don't know if we're gonna get to all of these uh, before you know we start talking about camp we and whatnot. Uh, Dylan, his question is first on an all time Texas roster. Which position group is the best? Also, this may be over my head, but when is Rod B getting his T ring? He graduated in two thousand eight. Texas will be back before he gets it at this rate. It's true. Rod, you heard anything on the T-ring front? Uh, no, but I haven't been pursuing it, really. Okay. Um, stuff, on an all-time Texas roster, which position group is the best? I mean, Rod, do, you can be impartial. No, this running one. back is probably what it is. I mean, they got two Heisman Trophy winners, right? Plus Deontay Foreman, Jamal. I mean, think about it. Walker Award. If you're just going by individual awards, guys. there's a lot of guys in front of Jamal Charles before you get to Jamal Charles. Yeah, I think it's running back and then DB, actually, if I would say it. Uh, you know what? I would put defensive line up there, too. When you really start, just look at college success, right? Oh, yeah. Kenny Sims, Scott Appleton, Steve McMichael, Tony the Great, nope. Casey Hampton, Tony okay. Brackens. You just go on, go on to, you know, Malcolm yep. Brown, up to Hassan Ridgeway, Charles Amenahu. I mean, there's some really good defensive linemen this program's produced. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Hell, the, the specialties in kickers ain't going to be bad. I can't, no, right? I mean, you're going to have – yeah, you're going to have – Longball Dixon and produce. Slavin. Yeah. <laughs> you got some goats over there. Yeah, You're going to join – I don't know, remember where Jan Stenerud went to college and Adam Vinatieri was like Central Connecticut State or something, but you're going to be one of the colleges that produces a Hall of Fame kicker because Justin Tucker's going there whenever he's he going retires. The best yeah. ever. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, he's think, like the right. only guy that's like a consensus amongst all NFL players. It's like, oh yeah, no, that guy's the best. Dude's making making more money than like ninety percent of running backs. Uh, ninety five percent. And since we brought up uh, talking about a pro contract, I just saw this tweeted less than an hour ago from Quandre Diggs himself. This is quoting his tweet: Safety Seahawks safety Quandre Diggs has restructured his contract, converts twenty three salary into bonus. News reported by the man himself. So, Quandre's <laughs> in reporting I'm news. my damn news. <laughs> Nobody get my contract ESPN wrong. One day, dude. They'll be idiots if they don't bring him in. All right. So, we'll uh, – you guys want to get to one more or you guys want to wrap it up? Just, I got just it. I got wrap it up. One, All right, yeah, I figured. Okay. Well, that's going to do it. Ben, you will be on deck next week uh, as we hopefully can get through the rest of these questions and what's going to be part three of the mailbag episode. Nice. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 
1060. Stream on the Horn app at hornfm.com where, at least for a few more days from the time we're recording <laughs> this, you can get Rod B on Ball Don't Lie, co-hosted with Mike Hard from 3 to 7. Same as Pluck. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And for a few more episodes, you get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. Thanks to Matt. Get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. And search horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.